when I think about us coming together like this on a Sunday morning, the reason we've come together is because there's somebody that has touched our life. And that somebody is a man by the name of Jesus. And when we think about why we're here, um, it all goes back to what we're going to be looking at at chapter 12 in the book of John. It comes to a culmination. After all the signs that Jesus has performed, it has come to the point that there are those who believe and those who have not believed. And yet at this particular time, in John chapter 12, Jesus will say, the hour has come. I think it would be good for us for, for us to listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah before we begin this John chapter 12. And so I'm going to be reading in, John, in Isaiah chapter 53 to begin with. Before we begin, I'd like to go to our Heavenly Father in prayer as he helps us to walk through this this morning. Almighty God, we give you all praise and glory for the time that we are here. Lord, we thank you for our life. We thank you for the way that you continually look after us. Lord, you guide us, you direct us. Through your Holy Spirit, you teach us as we come to your word. And Lord, this morning we pray that as we come together that you will use your Holy Spirit not only in my life, but in the life of each and every person who hears these words, that they will be encouraged, they will be blessed, they will be convicted. Lord, thank you for your son Jesus and what he means to our life. We give you all praise. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Isaiah chapter 53, I'm going to begin reading with verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then skipping down to verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Let me read that again. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. And out of the anguish of souls of his soul he shall see and be satisfied, and by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And then the last verse, yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. 
it's good for us to look back as it was prophesied about something that we're going to read about today in John chapter 12. And as we think about what all of this means, I think that it, it comes to the culmination of this is not something that's new for any of us, but at the same time, I think it's good for us to be refreshed by it. Um, I want to begin uh, with verse 27. Uh, we are going to go back just a little bit, but Gary left me at verse 27, and that's where Gary wants me to begin today. And in order for us to realize what's going on at verse 27, I think we have to go back to verse 30, where we realize that the Greeks have come to see Jesus. And there's possibly a, a reason that they've come. We notice that one of the things that Jesus did in the last week of his life is he cleansed the temple. And in cleansing the temple, he was a part it was a part of the Gentile court that he cleansed. That's where all the, the sales were going on. The sales of the different things that the pigeons and the sacrifices that were going to be made. And Jesus said, this not should be a place to sell. It should be the house of prayer. And because of that, the Gentile court was cleansed. Now, I'm not saying that that's the reason the Jews, I mean, the Gentiles came at this particular time, but there's a big possibility that all of a sudden they realized that this man, Jesus, was doing something for them. Here were these Gentiles who were not allowed to go farther, but the Gentile court, and now at least they could come and worship God in a way where all of this other stuff was not going on at the same time. And so they come and say, can we see Jesus? And at that particular time, we begin to read. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some, some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them. And notice what he answers. Does he answer just Philip and Andrew? Or is he answering the Greeks? We really don't know. John doesn't tell us. John tells us a lot of things, but he doesn't tell us where this is actually being addressed to. But listen to what's being said. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of Wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Of course, he's talking about his death. At this particular time, it seems that John wants us to think just a little bit. John is one of those that doesn't say anything that doesn't have a meaning to it, that doesn't have a deeper meaning. And he's trying to tell us that not only is Jesus going to die for the Jew but he's going to die for the Gentile. And I don't know about you, but that means a lot to me because I'm one of those. And in all probability, 99% of you are one of those. 
We are the Gentiles. And it's amazing what this particular thing means because it, it broadens what Jesus is all about. So, with that being said, we start with verse 27. And Jesus says, Now my soul, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. My soul is troubled. When we look at the cross, we realize that there's a lot of of horror that's going to take place at that cross. They're going to strip him. He's going to be naked. They beat him. They lacerate his back till it's merely shreds. They put a crown upon his head. They put nails into his hands. They mock him. No wonder it says, my soul is troubled. But I think that goes, there is something else that Jesus, that John is trying to tell us. When he records those words of Jesus, my soul is troubled. Remember that Jesus has never committed a sin. He is sinless. And remember that when he hangs upon that cross, he takes Skip Clark's sin and the sin of the whole world upon his shoulders. Jesus, who has never sinned, Jesus, who has done everything in the world to stay away from sin, who has been tempted just as we are, yet without sin, the book of Hebrews says. And yet he's going to take on the sins of the whole world. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 21, it says, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. The only way that I can be righteous before God is because God decided at one particular time that he would put the sins of the whole world upon the body of Jesus. And as you and I sit here in the comfort of this place, as we come together because we want to know more about Jesus, that we want our life to be rich and adventurous. I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly, Jesus says. And so we come. But we come knowing that Jesus went through some horror as he was thinking about the sin that would be put upon his shoulders. In 1 Peter, it tells us that he took my sin and made me righteous. So, not only is he troubled because of the physical pain, he is troubled because of the spiritual pain of taking the sins of the whole world upon his shoulders. And so as you and I come together and in just 
within the next hour, we're going to partake of what we know is the Lord's Supper. We won't remember one more time of, of the great sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made. And so when he begins to go back and forth with this, shall I say to my father, Father, save me from this hour? No, no. He rather says, but for this purpose, I've come to this hour. I want you just for a moment to just realize, and I wish I could portray it in a more dramatic way, that we could just get the feeling of what's going on here and the pain and agony of his mind of what he's going to do when he takes on the sins of the whole world. And then a voice from heaven said, I have glorified it. After he says, glorify thy name. And he says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The, the beauty of this is we see the glory that's going to be proposed in this particular section of the Bible. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said, it has thundered. And others said, an angel has spoken to him. The crowd didn't realize that God had spoken. God was putting his honor upon the man Jesus. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said it's thundered. And an angel has, or an angel has spoken. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I will be lifted up from all the earth. I'd like for us just for a moment to turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to a lifelong slavery. I think all of us in this room will admit that one of the fears that we have is the fear of death. It's the sting of death the Corinthian letter talks about. None of us want to die. And yet Jesus for the very reason of going to the cross, destroyed that power of death. That you and I, when we look at death, we realize that those of us who have a right relationship with Jesus, those of us who are covered with his blood, that we immediately go into his presence or into paradise or whatever that is. And the reason I say paradise is because that's what Jesus said to the thief on the cross. Today, you will be with me in paradise. I don't know what paradise is, but it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And I don't know exactly, I will not tell you what, what's going to happen immediately after death. I don't know if that's where we go, if that was just for the thief on the cross, or if that's an entrance into where we are. But I do know that we don't have to fear death. And for that very reason, he is saying at this particular hour, the judgment of the world, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. 
he was being cast out in the fact that he no longer has the power of, of death over us. And up until this particular time, Satan was in full, full, full control of death. Anybody got a comment or question? Yes. So, Skip, I appreciate a wonderful comment and to those of you who didn't hear it all I'll just summarize it just a little bit to be able to realize that it was not just only the pain that he was going to endure at the cross but to be able to know that it's for us the very fact that he's going to conquer this death that we no longer have and that we have this wonderful relationship with Jesus Christ I know I did a bad job of that but Thank you anyway. Yes, Richard. The term glorified, I think we many times don't understand what that means. And there are two possible references here that glorified means to honor, or it could be translated sanctified, which in Hebrew, sanctification was referred to at, was a reference to uh, being uh, to death. Sanctified to death, is that what you're saying? Okay. Richard has pointed out that this idea, that this glorify, could have the idea that we are being sanctified unto death. I've never heard that, but I'm not going to dispute it at all. Later, in just another two chapters, he will tell his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in me, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. In other words, he was trying to prepare them to not be discouraged at this particular point. And he's just doing the same thing to himself. There is a comfort that he's trying to receive himself as he is troubled with this. All right? Good point. Not only did this glorification take place in conquering death, but I want us to turn to Romans chapter 6 and see also what it does with sin in our life. Okay? Romans chapter 6. I want to begin reading with verse 5. Romans chapter 6 beginning with verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. 
In other words, he's saying that the very thing that he is going to go through, Paul is saying that we too go through that, that we go through a death and burial and resurrection. And because of that, we are connected in a beautiful way that we are no longer enslaved to sin. Beginning with verse 7, For one who has died has set me free from sin, now if, we have been di- now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves, now listen to this, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Tomorrow morning, as you walk out and you begin your next life, I mean your, your regular life, <laughs> next life, your regular life, I want you to think about that as you walk out that door, you say, yourself, say to yourself, I am dead to sin and I'm alive to Christ Jesus. I'm dead to sin and alive to Christ Jesus. Wait a minute, Skin. Skip, I know that I sin. I know that tomorrow I will sin. I do. I understand that. But we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's amazing what he said at the cross. Not only does he destroy death, but he destroys sin in the life of the Christian. And I think that's so important for us to understand. Let me go on. I'm still in Romans 6. Let not sin, this is verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions and do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and you are members to God as instruments of righteousness. Tomorrow morning, as you begin your life, Begin your life thinking, I am an instrument of righteousness because of what Jesus did at the cross. Not because of who I am, not because of the power that I have, but I have a power within me because of what Jesus did on the cross that I can be an instrument of righteousness. How beautiful is that? That we can realize that because of that, It all goes back to the very fact I have glorified it and I will glorify it again and the way he did that glorification is verse 21 in chapter 12 of John. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Two things happen. He was cast cast out when it comes to death and he was cast out because of sin. In other words, he no longer has that power over death and that power over sin. For sin will have no dominion over you since since you are not under law but under grace. So, even though we struggle with sin, it doesn't have dominion power over us. Because of God's grace, in Christ we continue to forgive us. So, like you read in Hebrews 2.
Okay. Gary's helped me out just a little bit, and I really appreciate that, Gary, that we are being released from that power of sin. We are being released from that death that we will die. Of course, we will die, but not, it's not that, the fear of death that we have. Okay? Now let's go on in uh, John chapter 12. Let's go back to John chapter 12. I'm going to begin with verse 30 just to remind ourselves of where we are. This voice had come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, cast out death, cast out sin. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This particular part really goes back to the Greeks. And I think that's why John introduced this. John's the only one that does that, but any time that John gives us something and then comes back with something else, we realize that that's the reason that he's talking about the Greeks coming to Jesus, is that they too will be united in Christ Jesus. As he says here, that they, all people will be drawn to myself, all people including the Gentiles. Then beginning with verse 33, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? It's mocking him. He's called him, he's the only one who has used the word Son of Man. That's how he describes himself. And at, that, at this particular point, they are saying, How can you say it? that you're going to, the, Jesus is going to, I mean, the, the Savior, the Christ is going to live forever. And at this particular point, what he's doing is pointing to the fact of something that's very dear to each and one of, our, one of us. And that is, we will all be drawn to him for this very purpose. And he showed this, so the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law and the Christ forever, that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And Jesus does not even answer the question. Notice what he says. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtakes you. That one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become the son of, sons of light. At this particular time, he pushes back with these Jews. And he says to them, the thing that you need to realize is you're walking in darkness. Remember back then that we didn't have lights. If you had a candle, if you had a lamp, that was your light. And so darkness was truly darkness. And he's telling them, you are walking in darkness if you do not receive what I'm trying to share with you. I'm the one who has come to give you this light. He doesn't even answer their question as they, they mock him at this particular point to say that you're supposed to live forever. No, he's saying the time has come for you to realize that this is your last chance.
And when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. I think when we realize that at this particular point that he leaves, his earthly ministry has come to an end. He has come to the point that all the signs that has been performed, even those Jewish religious leaders have even said, the whole world is coming to him. We've got to do something about this. In other words, they come to him because of the signs. And now he no longer will perform those signs any longer. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. And though he had done so many other signs before them, they still did not believe in him. And so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In other words, Isaiah is the one who has been prophesying, and now they have heard, and now they don't believe. The prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled in the fact that they still did not believe in him. Therefore, they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts, and turn and I will heal them. Yes. We have to understand what Mohanan is saying here that when he says they didn't believe in him, he's just talking about not everyone. Because if it weren't for the Jews, there would have been no gospel taken to the Gentiles. If the Jews hadn't believed, it would have died. Period. So the Jew, not all Jews, and in fact it even goes on to say many even of the rulers believed in Yeshua. Back in John 12, uh, 1242, we're going to get to that. So the Jews didn't outright deny him or not believe in him. It was just a, a majority of the people. So you're saying the majority of the people did not believe in him. Okay. And particularly the leaders. Okay. Right, and they were hardened. All right. And that's the point that I'm trying to make is that, that the Jews themselves, because of the signs that they saw, and they even believed in those signs. I mean, they didn't believe in them, but they saw the signs and came to believe in certain ideas of him, but they would not put their faith in him. One key to what you're saying is in verse 42, the beginning of that, that, that goes into the very thing we're talking about. Okay, you want me to read verse 42? Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Now, the point that I want to make at this particular time when it comes to belief and unbelief is that sometimes people come to this particular chapter and this particular verse and say, 
that because of the prophets saying, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I will heal them, that God himself is hardening them so that they cannot believe. And my point is, with the two sentences that are seen here, they still not believe in him, verse 29, therefore they could not believe in him. In other words, you have to unbelieve before you cannot believe. You hear what I'm trying to say? Am I making it clear? Jeff. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, did a good on that. He said, I knew Jesus before he was a Christian and I liked him better then. And all it's all about religion. Jesus never brought us religion. He brought us salvation. Yet we've taken, mankind takes it and turns it into religion. And what the Jews have here is religion. And it's hard to break away from religion to see the light. So true. They were more concerned with religion than they were for the, what Jesus was offering to them of a life of salvation. And we have to be careful ourselves because we can find ourselves doing the very same thing. We can have our little religious activities and our religious doctrines that we hold on to fervently to the point that we actually miss the salvation that Jesus wants to give us. And I think that's so true in our lives as we walk through Christianity in our daily life. I want to try to emphasize just a little bit about this because I think it's so important. And I want to go back to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And I'd like to begin with verse 19. Well, let's go a little bit further. Let's go up to about verse um, 18. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, now this is God talking to Moses at the burning bush. And you shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go three days into the wilderness that they may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Now listen to what God says. This is very important. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. The foreknowledge of God knew that he would not let them go unless God showed his mighty powers through that. Now, the reason I'm saying that is that later on in the book of Exodus, it will say, God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Okay? God cannot harden your heart only through foreknowledge. Do you hear what I'm saying? God did not harden the heart of Pharaoh because he didn't like Pharaoh. In other words, God knew that he would not believe prior to him not believing. Therefore, afterwards, he hardened his heart. So God doesn't arbitrarily pick you out and say, I'm going to harden your heart so that you can't believe. Do you hear what I'm saying? I see a frown on your face. 
and I want to know, am I being clear? Yeah, yes, okay. In other words, God doesn't arbitrarily harden our hearts prior to the foreknowledge that he has that we will not believe. And that's a very important part because so many people come to this particular verse and say that God predestines certain individuals to be hardened. I don't believe that. I don't think the scripture teaches that. I think, and that's the reason I'm going to Exodus chapter 3, is I want us to see the beauty of the fact of God's foreknowledge prior to the unbelief. I just hope I'm making sense. Yes. all of the works that Jesus did, certain people refused to acknowledge him as the chosen, the anointed, the Messiah. They refused to give him that. They refused in their hearts. And so, if you read down farther, God hardened Pharaoh's heart for a purpose. Yes. So that he could stretch forth his hand and do the things that he needed to do. Right. And so there, there's a purpose in that when he does harden Yes. But he does have the power to do that. Yes. And I'm not negating that. I'm not negating the hardening of the heart. I just, I'm, all I'm saying is that it comes through the foreknowledge of God knowing in advance. And I think that's so important because I know of people taking these verses right here and talk about predestination. That we are predestined, some people are predestined to be saved and others are predestined to be unsaved, and I'm just negating that. That's all I'm doing at this time. Matthew chapter 13, turn with me there. Let's begin with verse 10. Yeah, Matthew 13, beginning with verse 10. Then the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he who will have it abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they have barely hear, and their eyes they, can, they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I will heal them. There again, this in the book of Matthew is showing the foreknowledge of God, knowing those that will receive and those that will not receive. And that's the only point that I'm trying to make just because of the understanding that we have here. So, let's go back to this idea. Verse 35 says, they still did not believe. Verse 36, 39 says, therefore they could not believe. In other words, if you don't believe, there comes a point in your life where you cannot believe. And that's what's happened here. 
Verse 41 of John chapter 12. We're back in John chapter 12 now. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than they, the glory that comes from God. What a perception of what, I think that's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. To, to believe something and yet to be, want the glory of man more than the glory of God is absolutely the saddest thing that you can possibly think of. The challenge for us reading that is do we tend sometimes because of peer pressure like it's talking about they felt, because of peer pressure at work or our social circles do not say things about our faith because we we don't want to be as one of those fanatics or one of those real spiritual people, uh, do we hold back sometimes on what we say or how we stand because of the peer pressure around us that these people will And Gary is making application to our own lives that there are times that if we're not careful that we are the same ones. In other words, in our, in our workplace, are we willing to speak up for our the fact that we are children of God, that Jesus Christ is our Savior, or are we going to let that kind of pass just so that we are not known as some fanatic that lives for Christ? Bible thumper, okay? That's a good way to think of. Go ahead. Karen. I mean, Robin, excuse me. <laughs> she mentioned, why didn't the, the people believe seeing all the miracles and things that Yeshua did? Well, there were other rabbis in, in writings of the sages. There's other rabbis who performed miracles. So miracles weren't unusual and unknown to the people. It's just they... They didn't understand who Yeshua was he is. And the only disagreement that I would have there is that there are certain messianic miracles that were performed, like raising of the dead. In other words, and also the messianic uh, miracle of, of causing a, a man who was born blind to be able to see. In other words, the messianic promise uh, of those. And so... Never did. But there were still miracles. Yes. So it wasn't unusual. You had to know what was unique about Yeshua. Okay. Very good. Anything else? Okay. <clears throat> Beginning with verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. 
If anyone hears my word and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge, and the words that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but by the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What shall I say? Therefore I say, as the Father has told me. At this particular point, we don't really know when he cried this out. In other words, at verse 44, it just says, and Jesus cried out and said, remember what we've read already, that he has hid himself from the ground. When, when John heard him say this, we really don't know. But there was a time in Jesus' life when he says, if you believe in me, you believe the one who sent me. In other words, you believe in the Father, Almighty God. And then, then he goes on to say, there will be a time that I won't judge you, but the word of God will judge you. And I think one of the things that we need to realize is that the power of the word is so important in our own individual lives. When we turn back to the book of Hebrews and we hear the Hebrew writer saying that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing the division of soul and spirit, I think we need to realize how powerful this word is that you and I hold in our hand. Every once in a while, I think we take it for granted. There are times in our life that Ho-hum, we know the word. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's why Jesus would say at this particular point, it is not I who is going to judge you. The word of God will judge you. That's what the judge will be. And that's why this is so important. And that's why this is so necessary to our individual lives that we see the power of this. I'm going to have to stop now because it's time to stop. So thank you for enduring, all right? Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.